Blog Talk Radio. I own it, I did that, not proud that that was me, and when I face it, I take back a little dignity, not looking for excuses, I just want to be free from power. Hello and welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. My name is Catherine, and I'm joined tonight by my co-host, Ellie. Hi, Elle. Hey, Catherine. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Good. Great to hear you. And we're sending sober love to Jean, who's on the line live tweeting the show, and Amanda has the night off, so sending uh, some love over the airwaves to them. And one announcement for the show is that we're on our summer schedule for the months of July and August. So we'll have a new and live episode every other Sunday, and we'll alternate with reruns of uh, popular past episodes. So just be aware of that. Um, And tonight we have a good old-fashioned guest speaker meeting lined up. And it's actually kind of a cool story of how we can build a sober community with the help of social media. So Greg is a listener of the show, and he's been a regular in the sober community on Twitter. And I realized in the course of live tweeting these shows and interacting with the community there that I was going to be traveling to a town near Greg. So I asked him for some recovery meeting recommendations. And the long story short is we were able to meet at a couple of those meetings while I was traveling up there. And it's just for me, this great example of how putting yourself out there even just a little bit can connect us with cool people in recovery and which we always say helps us stay sober. Um, It's also a lesson to watch out if you're sober and you meet me because it just might mean I'll be asking you to be a guest on the show, which is exactly (laughs) what happened to poor Greg. (laughs) And he was gracious enough to say yes. So welcome, Greg. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, and it really was uh, special to to connect and have you join us at uh, a couple of the meetings that we have here in the uh, North Shore of Boston. Yeah, it was awesome. So you know what, uh, we're, and we're always saying this, but like the internet has just really opened up the recovery community. I feel like for so many people, whether it's you know like a podcast like this or blogs and um, on Twitter, it's just. It, there's so many amazing global connections, and so I was really glad to meet you in person. And um, thank you so much for your service tonight and agreeing to be on the show. No, so it really is. Just... Uh... Oh, go ahead. I'm yeah, sorry. awesome. No, I mean, I was just going to turn it over to you, actually. It's, uh, you know, why don't you take it away and just share a bit of your uh, recovery journey? Great. Thank you. Um, the you know, I was going to mention quick on with with Twitter. You know, as I I'll talk about later on. Um, you know, for reasons of you know a lot of people in this position when you're when you're trying to get sober um, in the first couple of years, there's a reason why. And my my uh, personal life, you know, really has gone through quite a turn. And for that reason, I've, I'm completely off of all social media. Um, you know, it, it's 
from a privacy standpoint, but also, you know, just to really focus on, um, you know, what I have in front of me, um, sobriety, focus on my family. Um, and for that reason, uh, I really have leaned on Twitter and it's because the main reason is I don't know anyone and I've been able to, you know, develop these communities, um, where anytime I see someone posting something about AA or recovery or, or any of the programs or, you know, out there that, that are helping people, I add them to a list that I have. Um, and I use that list where every day I can look at that list and I have another one that's a spirituality one and I have a local sports one and different lists, but I spend a lot of time on that recovery one and I've just developed this community there of which the bubble hour is one. So it's really cool how we were able to, you know, come together that way and help you when you came up here. Um, I also have some other resources I use. Um, I get a daily email um, that uh, goes out to the to the world and when I travel I will send a note to this individual Tom and say hey I'm going to be in Poland or Paris or Dallas and he'll send it out to the the world his distribution list and I've had people contact me in all those cities to attend meetings so it, it really is great to be able to reach out and get help and you know anyone who's out there right now and you you may not you may be in a place where you don't know either in your your hometown or you know traveling or a new place. There's meetings out there, and there's people who are always willing to take you. Yeah, um, and I mean, and I I love I just I'm sorry to interrupt you, Greg. I'm already thinking like, you know, first of all, I love the fact of how you're focusing on your sobriety so much, and and we'll be able to talk about that, and then we often get questions of like, how do I build a sober community? And you're, you're giving us examples here. And I actually had one as well, like two weeks ago, maybe where a listener emailed the bubble hour and um, it as coincidentally, she lives in my city and we met up and it was totally awesome. Like, so I guess I just want to encourage listeners that if, if you're wondering how to do it, you know, well, it sounds like Greg is kind of the master of it. <laughs> but there's, there's I'm taking any resource I can. Um, yeah. You know, just to, oh, okay, to sorry, go up. ahead. No, to back up and just tell a little bit about my background, um, I grew up in a in a family north of Boston. Um, I was born into a big Irish family. My father had come from four boys. Um, he was a coach while he was in law school, and so when he had four boys, you know, everyone, you know, was all excited and talking about how he had his own, you know, football team and and uh he was coaching football at the time. Um and it's uh and then when I probably was three or four years old, he climbed in a bottle and never got out and uh wasn't in my life growing up. Um and you know, I ended up growing up on the other that was in the south shore of Boston. I grew up on the North Shore, a beautiful town uh north of the city. And so alcoholism was always in our life. We always knew, my brothers and I, that, you know, our father wasn't there because of alcoholism. Um, you know, I started probably, and it, when I grew up in the 80s, um, you know, in the town I was in, it, it was a great cross of, uh, you know, a lot of single parents, a lot of, you know, people who were, who were upper middle class, middle class um you know, and just there was really a lot of partying going on by parents in this town. So we started drinking pretty young. Um, and, you know, having 
a family with four boys in it, you know, we, we tended to get in a little more trouble than other kids. Um, but we had a, really had a good time, and we're known as kind of a party family. Um, and, you know, I carry that into college and even into my career. Um, it seemed like the, you know, the the drinking even in my career, which has been, you know, in, uh, you know, one of the top companies in the world, um, you know, and I was in a training program and really excelled, um, partying was always kind of a big part of that as well. Um, and I always got in my share of trouble, you know, through the years as a, as a kid and growing up, um, you know, through my professional life. But, you know, it, it never was enough to get in the way of my job. Um, but, you know, certainly it, uh, it became as anyone who's, um, you know, most of the people here listening know, alcoholism is a progressive issue. It continues to get worse and worse. So, you know, when you're pulled over for a DUI when you're in your 20s, you know, that's a lot different than when it happens to you, you know, in your 30s. Um, you know, things get things get worse and worse. Um, and when you age, when you get old, as you get older, uh, most people, you know, see patterns where they start doing things they never could imagine they'd do, like, you know, promise that they'd, you know, stop drinking over and over again um, to the people and their, their loved ones in their lives. Um, you know, when I I had um, several ultimatums from my wife over the last three years, um, and, you know, it, it, I really was, was done drinking, and I legitimately wanted to be done, you know, and I think uh, as most things in my life, you know, I was always able to accomplish things with willpower and with uh, heart. You know, I was the type of person who was captain of his football team, but not the best athlete. Um, you know, I got it because of heart. I was always told that in my career as well. So when it came to saying I'd stop drinking, I really just thought I could, you know, I love the term white knuckling it and just be able to say I'm done. And, you know, I took a lot of pride um, you know, we as we were, you know, didn't really change our family lifestyle. We still hung out with a group of people who, you know, got together at someone's house and there was booze flowing or out at restaurants or at the beach even. You know, there was always booze around and I just was the one who was driving or, or not drinking and that was fine and I had pride in that. But I knew that I was missing something. I was going to recovery meetings. Um, you know, I'd read the messages on the wall and, and understand the steps in front of me, but I knew I wasn't getting something, that I was missing something, um, you know, that, that uh, was making it so that I always was hanging on and just trying to use my willpower as much as possible, but it just wasn't working, and I kept slipping. I'd get a couple months under me and then end up picking up and drinking. So... You know, it was, I knew something was missing in my recovery, and I felt like I was always on thin ice. Um, the, you know, it's a, um, it ended up being a, you know, and like I said, there were several ultimatums, um, you know, get sober or that's it. And to the people around us, it really is, is from their eyes, you know, I can't imagine you know, what went through, what I put my wife through, you know, her wanting to smell my breath every time I came home. You know, and we even had a little breathalyzer that she'd give me. I can't imagine that. You know, and just, and eventually, you know, and just waiting for everything to come crashing down because, you know, 
I didn't stay sober. And to most people, it's just a, it's, you know, an issue of willpower to them, or you just, you don't have a moral, the morals to not drink, or you're choosing alcohol over them. And, you know, the, my true rock bottom was on a business trip. You know, before the business trip, I was going to a, uh, a church group every Thursday night, which I still do, uh, and it was kind of an accountability group um, at my church. And, and even with my wife, I remember saying, I'm not doing this right. You know, I think I need a sponsor. And I, I really had a lot of fear going on this trip that I was going to drink, and I did. Um, you know, I, I was switching jobs, and everyone at my old job, same company, but a different role, different group of people, um, everyone in my previous one knew I wasn't drinking, and they thought just for health reasons I'd really gotten in shape and lost a lot of weight, you know, and got off blood pressure medication, which I had been on, and uh, I was doing CrossFit, and they all thought it just tied in with all of that. When I started this new job and I was on this big conference with everyone drinking, um, you know, no one, everyone kept asking me to go out, and I kept, you know, not doing it. And then uh, the last night I ended up going out after dinner and uh, got and ended up um, in the hospital with stitches. Um, and, you know, the whole way home on the airplane, I kept saying, when I get in that door, I'm just going to say, here's what happened, to be honest. And the minute I walked in, I just heard a lie coming out of my mouth. And, you know, and it, uh, it, I did what alcoholics do. You know, we lie. And mm-hmm. it, um, you know, that really is what sent me down to rock bottom. And, you know, my wife said she was leaving and, and, you know, essentially over time did. And, you know, I really was for the first time said, you know, I'm missing something. There's, this is, there's, you know, there's a lot of people who've gotten sober and I'm missing the way they did it. And I'm going to do everything I can to make sure I got what they had. Um, and, you know, and I have a, a friend at church who runs this men's accountability group who says, you know, most people who find religion are dropped to their knees at some point. And that's where I was. And uh, so I did, started going to meetings. I did the 90 and 90, um, probably a lot more than 90 in those 90 days. Um, you know, I also, I, this is a funny story. I, you know, uh, we all love the old timers at meetings. Um, you learn so much from them. Um, and there's a great one who, who just recently passed away, actually, up here um, at the meeting that, that Catherine joined us at. And uh, his name's Mike. And, you know, I've been going to meetings, and I'd be the last one in and the first one to leave. I wouldn't get any numbers. I wouldn't talk to anyone, you know, and, and that was part of the problem. Um, so I said, you know, from that day, I said, I'm going to talk at every meeting I go to. And I was so raw and, you know, that I just oozed emotion. And, uh, you know, I probably was a few weeks in, and this old-timer Mike said, it, it started, I started the meeting and, uh, you know, just said what was going on and how I had a couple weeks sobriety and, and it went around to him and he said, you know what, Greg, you need to shut, shut, shut up and sit down and, shut your mouth and open your ears. And, and he just went on and on for about 10 minutes, just tearing me up and down. Um, and I thanked him afterwards. But, you know, and, and the rest of the meeting focused on that discussion. You know, people were defending me and attacking him or defending him. And 
And, uh, you know, I even got a text the following Monday from someone at the meeting saying they were still talking about it. And there was a woman crying saying, because I wasn't there, you know, that must be out drinking because Mike pushed me over the edge. Um, and, and I understand what he said and I agree. Um, but I, it, it was more important for me early on to talk and, because every time I did, people would come up to me and, and say, hey, I've gone through something similar. Here's my phone number. And I, the, the numbers that I got and the, the connections I made was really just amazing and, you know, helped me, you know, with my sobriety. Mm. Um, so, you know, the, the big thing was I, I kept going to the meetings and I started doing the work. I started reading the literature. Um, I tell the story how, you know, uh, when I first started going to AA, I had um, been given some a lot of the literature. You know, and I and I drove around with uh, the big book in the back of my Jeep for about a year and a half until that day I hit rock bottom. And then I got a temporary sponsor, and he said, "Hey, I want you to read that that up to page 164, and then two more times, and then and then give me a call." And uh, and it just became you know, so clear, so quick how much I was missing, you know, the whole idea of realizing it's out of control and it's and you can't do it with your willpower. And for the first, first time in my life, you know, I understood the whole, you know, giving it to God part, I thought, but I truly didn't understand, you know, how I couldn't do it with my willpower. There was nothing else I couldn't do, but this one I couldn't. Mm-hmm. So it's, and and so and how long has that been, Greg? Now you've been sober. You told me it was me, just seventeen remember. months. That's awesome. So it so seems awesome. like it's really it's it's clicking. It's amazing. Well, now I have know, to that, say, go ahead. Yep. Go ahead. Oh, I, I was just going to say the, you know, the the seventeen months that I've been sober, it. You know, I, I also jumped into my church. I have a great church here, um, and um, that, you know, is, uh, I thought it was non-denominational. It actually has a Baptist history. Um, but they've really just connected, you know, I grew up in a Catholic church where there's this, it feels like there's this whole administration between, you know, you and and God. Um, but this this church has been, you know, really helped me develop a direct relationship, you know, with with uh, my higher power. And um, the other important thing is when you go through a crisis, and a lot of people listening probably have her in one right now, um, everyone scatters. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, and I can honestly say that for most of the last 17 months, the only people from before my my you know I'll call it D Day you know the only people from before that are that have been in my life are my two boys and all our friends scattered they a lot of our couples we hung out with kind of went and supported with and supported my wife and then they kind of ditched her you know and and uh, you know because they're all married and you know and, and she was separated. Um, and, uh, you know, and I found a lot of my family, you know, has really spent more time, you know, kind of having to find someone to blame in this, um, 
you know, I obviously carry, you know, uh, I, I know I'm the one who put us in this position, but there just was a lot of gossiping and, and you know, attacking the two of us that, you know, was not helpful at all, you know. And uh, But I started to see something that, you know, people in AA and uh, the other and sobriety groups that I went to and, and uh, my church groups that I went to and the meetings, um, when they take your phone number, you know, they call you and and really genuinely listen to what you have to say and give you advice that really they had no motivation in it than just wanting the best for you and your family. And I have all these people from my church and through the different programs, you know, people in the same position we're in who are just so genuinely in my corner, you know, and providing mm-hmm. support every day that none of them are from before this. And they all are people who, you know, have spirituality in their life. And that's, I mean, there's a couple miracles I'll talk about. And, you know, that's one of them right there is everyone else, my drinking buddies, you know, um, I was never the type who had, you know, really considered people that he worked. I, you know, there's a lot of people who their best friends are the people they work with. You know, I've, I've have acquaintances at work. Um, but there, there was any, and I, I really considered myself someone with a lot of people in my life, but you know, everyone scattered and, uh, but yeah. there were people there who stepped in, um, you know, even strangers on, and I talked about Twitter, you know, I get the notes I was getting. I just got one today from, uh, the woman, Kristen Johnson, who is, she was the blonde on Third Rock mm-hmm. from the Sun, and now she's on a show. Um, is it called The Exes? And I think so, yeah. And and she she's on the you know she talks a lot about you know her sobriety and um, you know and she sent me a note. And I, I had one from Lenny Clark, the Boston comedian. You know Rob Lowe just talked to you know was sending out notes about his. I think it was twenty five years of sobriety. Um, mm-hmm. But there's. I I it, I just get encouragement from the strangest places, um, but you know the the other miracle I'll talk about though is that and this you know I wasn't looking for this, but I tried my hardest to get sober genuinely. I was done. I knew what I had at risk. I didn't want to drink anymore, and it felt like I was just like that white knuckle feeling hanging on. I felt like I was on my heels. That whole time. And then once I committed to this and, and jumped into church and jumped into all the, the, the doing everything I can for work and doing the steps, and suddenly I'm like three months sober, and I'm, I've am i spent three, night, three months of almost every night alone for the first time in ten years. So no one to be accountable to. And in the you know, thinking my marriage is over, so I'm just in so much pain. And I realized, and and I actually read it. I, I was rereading some of the literature, and it talked about, you know, how, you know, if you give this over to a higher power, you know, there's a change that's going to take place. And I realized I hadn't even considered drinking. It wasn't even. And I can say that honestly over the last 17 months, I've never come close to drinking. I The white knuckling 
was gone. And I don't even know when it when it happened. It just I it you know, as I said, all those nights alone, you know, and even still, you know, I dropped my son off, you know, my, my son was picked up, we'd spent the day at the beach and his mother came and got him and I mean it just crushes you. And drinking's not it, it doesn't it hasn't even crossed my mind and it's not because I have seventeen months. It this was the case a month in. And yeah. all I can think of is I was starting every night, every morning on my knees praying, you know, like fierce praying. And, you know, and it. And then I went and I read in this literature, it says, you know, we seldom, we will seldom be interested in liquor. If tempted, we will recoil from, from it as a hot flame. We react sanely and normally, and we will find that it is, that this has happened automatically. We'll see that this new attitude towards liquor has been given to us without any thought or effort on our part. It just comes. That is the miracle of it. We are not fighting it, nor are we, are we avoiding temptation. We feel as though we've been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. That that happened to me. So, I mean, the other thing is, is I've I started doing that part of it, the pro, you know, of the program of saying, I can't do this on my own, you know, and I jumped into this church that I go to. I started, signed up to teach Sunday school. So, you know, my youngest son and I spend almost every, like all morning Sundays there. And, you know, I'm in, I've jumped into a bunch of groups there. Um, you know, uh, I meet with a bunch of, you know, fathers Thursday mornings and we, you know, talk about books and issues, you know, that we're reading or the Bible or, you know, and, and, we just give each other so much encouragement, but I've jumped in so much that, you know, I look back now and I just, and it's not even just about not drinking. I've wake up every day and I just ask to be the type of person that, you know, God wanted me to be. And, you know, I got in a, a discussion, you know, last fall with my wife and she said, I can't trust you. You're a liar. And I, I could honestly say, the last lie I've told anyone is that when I told you I didn't drink that night. I don't mm-hmm. I don't even have road rage anymore. I mean <laughs> and it's you know, my life isn't perfect. It's still a my family life's still a mess. But I know I'm getting up every day and doing the right thing. I know I'm a good father, I know I work hard in my career and I know I know that I handle every situation and there's difficult situations I deal with every day in my relationships. And I just ask to handle it with grace and do the right thing, you know. And and I yeah. know that I've been doing that. And it makes your whole life better. So you do it to become sober, but it makes everything, it makes you just a better person. Yeah. Mm. Well, well, Greg, thank you so much for, for sharing your whole story. There's just there's so much to talk about here. Um, so... Well, I, I don't even know where to start. So let me start here. I'm, I'm thinking back to where. Sorry, I stumped you. <laughs> no, no, because I was taking notes, so like writing down questions. So you know, you you said so you're going on this trip and you're kind of white knuckling it, and you said you had fear going on the trip, and you said I had a feeling I was going to drink, and I did. And yeah. maybe can we kind of unpack a little bit what? Now that you've got the benefit of some hindsight, like what some of the feelings were that 
you had going on. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because, like, if somebody has a little time under their belt, and we've talked about the stages of relapse on this show before, and I think it's useful for all of us to keep in mind, like, what those little red flags are as they're popping up, you know, and then before we end up in the situation where suddenly we're we're drinking. So can you remember kind of what, what it felt like leading up to that trip and what that fear was about? Yeah. It, it, now, first off, when, when, when we're in this position, when we're drinking, and and then we we see the wreckage that it's causing, and we have the people closest to us. You know, I'm someone who I, I spent, I was in conversations the first month I was, you know, I was in this position my, that, you know, and, and that people were, friends and family were saying, well, you're not an alcoholic. You're not as bad as the rest of the people or, the, you mm. know, this other person. But my wife knew I was. You know, she was finding bottles hidden. You know, she was, you know, hearing me make promises. I'll only have three drinks tonight. And then, you know, see me having more or, you know, find an extra bottle of wine you know, stash somewhere. I mean, it's insanity, the stuff we do. You know, we yeah. we can, first we try to, like, come up with rules that, like, well, I'm not going to drink hard alcohol anymore. Or I'm just going to drink wine or beer. I'm only going to drink on weekends. You know, I'll never drink in the morning, you know. And, and we come up with these rules. And then when we get pushed in a corner, we start lying about it and we start sneaking. And that's that's not... It, and it's hard for me to say this. You know, I, I'd always heard that my father had a disease, and I always thought that was a cop-out. You know, but, you know, the Dr. Silkwood explanation of how this really is a, a disease. And when you sit in these meetings, whatever type of meetings you're going to, to about people with addiction, we're all the same. And we I get to a point where we're lying and we're sneaking. So you got to remember, when I'm sitting there just trying, and I have... At this point, a couple months of sobriety, I'd gotten, you know, caught with booze on my breath a, a couple months before, and and I want it so bad, but I'm just trying to avoid it with willpower. But I still feel this just, like, wave over me, like it's all I can think about. Um, mm-hmm. And part of that's, I mean, a lot of us get grow up in a way that, you know, if we're going to go out on a boat, of course, we got to pick up beer. If we're going to go camping, you need beer. If you're going to go skiing, of course, you're going to be drinking, stopping at the lodge, you know, every couple of runs. I mean, it's uh, maybe it's because it's such a part of us, but once you get into this, this once you truly are an addict of alcohol or anything else, it consumes you. So if it's still consuming you and you still have this sobriety or trying for this sobriety, it's still what you're thinking about. And and you quickly, and I don't know how it happens, but you know pretty quickly when it takes over, you're not going to go into the, you know, um, you quickly go into that I need to protect myself mode of, you know, the lying and the sneaking and the, all of that stuff that comes with it. it. It just becomes like your natural reflex. And it's it's not because you're a bad person. Or you're just a degenerate, a liar, you know, and that's not it. And that's what, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know what the people around me have learned about alcoholism since 
you know, the last 17 months I've been getting sober, I think a lot of them probably still think I am a lying, degenerate jerk who, you know, put booze and, you know, I mean, over their family. And that truly isn't it. But you're out of control. Even though you're trying to hang on, you know you're out of that this thing has you. So I, I think that's what I... It, it wasn't getting any easier, you know, with, with a couple months yeah. of my doubt. So that's when I said it, 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 uh, I felt like I was on thin ice or that I wasn't, I really felt nervous getting on the airplane. I mean, that's why I knew that it was, I was using every bit of might I had. And the minute I got away, that accountability goes away. I'm not coming home you know, and having to look my wife in the eyes and have her smell my breath, as pathetic as that sounds. So I knew traveling. And I'd been on some trips and and was able to be sober, but then, again, the people I was around with at work knew I didn't drink. So I knew I was going away with people who didn't know that. I mean, and this this obsession is just like listening to you describe it as bringing me right back there of like, ugh. It was so exhausting just to be thinking about it all the time. And the lies. I mean, I would, I've said this before, but I would tell a lie when a truth, the truth would have been just as easy. And then I would be like, why did I say that? Like, I didn't even need to lie. That's so weird. It, it just, that's just how it was. And I'm like, am I just that, am I just a jerk? Yeah. And it, it you know, carries that kind over of into other parts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I that lying about alcohol? I, I was... I started lying about bills and, you know, I'd rush home to get to the mail first instead of just, and I don't know where that came from, but it was all, it was all part of this. Well, so one thing that came to mind while you were describing it and you were saying like your old friends and your family that you said, you know, there are people who still probably blame you or still think that you're, you know, a bad person and that kind of thing. I mean, and and Ellie jump in here on this too because you know we've talked a lot about some of the wreckage that we've all created and I just I want to talk about how we deal with that now that we're sober and now that we're being honest about things and um you know Ellie you've actually talked pretty sagely about boundaries and stuff you know maybe you could share a little bit here about that well, Peace. Greg, I first of all, like the, definitely so much of your story resonates with me. Our, our life circumstances are pretty similar right now. Um, you know, I'm a few months behind you in my sobriety, but I also ended up separated and almost divorced as a result of all of this. And um, one of the thoughts that I had as you were sharing your story is how powerfully it illustrates the difference between being dry and being sober. And, you know, I... You know, I've I've been in both places, and dry to me means that you're not actively drinking or using, but you don't have any other, you know, program or community in your life that helps you through, um, you know, whatever it was that was driving your desire to hide from yourself, you know, and and um, so when you know you're just when you hit your bottom and decide to get sober as opposed to just dry, I mean, to hear the impact of community and. Um, church and and sobriety as a recovery community in your life it's such a powerful example of how we can't the reason we can't white knuckle it is because the only help we're getting is in our own mind and that's where the problem lies 
Um, and I, I also was really struck by when you talked about, you know, being separated and being alone and there's really no accountability around you and, and how to juxtapose that against the fear you had going when you when you were more dry than sober going to the business trip because when you take the accountability away without a program of recovery, it's like that 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 thin veil of accountability is sometimes the only thing between us and a drink. But then right. when we're sober and we have a community of and a spiritual program and different things that will help us, you can take the accountability, the immediate accountability away and the obsession doesn't come. Um right. and so I, I was explaining I just went away um on vacation for about a week and you know, I've been my husband moved out, I don't know, six or seven months ago and so that accountability's been removed for me, but I was talking to a sober friend of mine and I said I'm continually surprised by like the the desire to drink doesn't come, but sometimes the surprise that the desire to drink isn't there comes. Like, oh my gosh, wow, I'm not you know, I'm I'm coping with this and I realize that it's like I it's because I'm not the only one that's experiencing it. I have you know, the difference would be if I were on a plane to a business trip I would have uh, talked to a sponsor or talked to friends. I'd be I'd be plugged in the entire time. Like when I go on vacation, I do the same thing. Or when I'm home alone and my kids are driving me crazy and I don't have an adult, you know, a husband or an adult companion to help me out, I go and I find it. And that's, you know, that's part of, um, and, you know, I'm and the boundary piece of it, learning to understand where the safe and healthy recovery resources are for me. I mean, there's people in my family and my friends who I love dearly, but they're not responsible for my recovery. I am with the with the help of other recovering people. Yeah, and you, you so also. I, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no. Please finish. No, I, I was going to say you also realize though that with boundaries are important because so many people around you have a have a, a vested interest that they they have their own personal agenda. You know, right. and and it's yeah. it never is is truly what's best for you and your family. And you know, someone asked me today on that topic, someone asked me today, like someone who's kind of been in and out and, and trying to get sober, and her partner is not supportive, not supportive of her getting sober, not supportive of her going to recovery meetings, not supportive of her talking to other sober alcoholics. And so that's so interesting, Greg, that you say they have their own agenda. And she asked me, like, what? how does my partner respond and how do I deal with that? So, like, what? how would you answer that question if somebody asked you, like, well, what do I do if my family and friends are not supporting me? Well, I mean, I found out with mine that, you know, I'd, they'd ask what's going on and I'd say, well, I knew that when, when I would tell them, they'd tell other people. And they'd react negatively towards me or, or my wife say stuff in front of my kids or, you know, and, and, you know, and I just, I'd be trying to explain a situation that's very personal and not just Mm. trying to get sober, but also save your family. And they'd get riled up with their own emotions and suddenly having to deal with their emotions. Um, So it it is important. I guess it's, I can't imagine how hard it is that you're, you know, your, your spouse. Um, Although, you know, I have to say I had a, you know, I, I remember talking to someone early on, and I said, you know, this can't be God's will for my family to be separated, and what's going on with us right now? This can't be it. And he said, well, you know, how is, how is sobriety going, going 
than when you were going home to your wife every night. How is that working? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, so I truly Yikes, think yeah. my alcoholism was, I can look at it now and say, this. It, I was dropped to my knees. This is what it took to bring me, you know, to build this relationship. It brought me to, I walk now with the spirit. You know, I'm, you know, I'm, I have Jesus in my life, and every day, you know, he, he guides me and, and to do the right things and to be the man, you know, that I was intended to be and be the father and the husband if I get the chance. And, you know, and, and it just makes me a better person. This whole crisis, in my mind, you know, was it was bound to happen to get me there. You know, and, and the tough mm-hmm. thing is, though, is, it, you look, if you're listening and, and you weren't, I wasn't raised very religious. I went to grew up going to church, but all I know is a miracle happened to me. I I did what it said to do, and you know, prayed hard to God, and suddenly this thing that had consumed me was gone. You know, and well, so I'm I'm trusting it, and I'm 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 hanging on to it with both hands. The tough part there, though, is is, you know, I talked about other people having agendas. You know, I, I, the toughest thing I've struggled with is that control, you know, and, um, and just not, I, I spent the last year or the first year doing everything I could, you know, to show my wife how much I love her and how great a guy I am. And that's not, you know, it's, it, this is what, she decides to do is between her and God. I'm not going to influence that. I could negatively influence it, you know, but I just I just have to leave it to him, leave it to the two of them to figure it out. She's on her own journey right now, you know, and I just have to keep doing the right thing every day, you know, and being the best person I can be. You know, and part of that with the boundaries you're asking about, there's a lot of people in my life who I'm just, I just, family that just isn't in my life right now. I can't deal with their yeah. emotions and their issues, so I've just separated them. Um, now, is that the healthiest thing to do? I'm not doing it with a lot of resentment. It's just, for me, it's the best thing to do right now And because I've tried to open up and and, pull, and allow them in, but it, it's bitten me too many times. Well, Greg, I think you're hitting on something. With... Oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, no, well, it, I was going to say, I think that you're you're hitting on something really, really important, too, um, and I can't help but sort of, you know, overlay that into my own current circumstance, but it was especially having, I mean, I was married 15 years and been together like 22 years or something like that, and when, because we struggled through my disease for so much of it, that there's just, there's these sort of toxic patterns that become ingrained, and there's a lot of baggage that comes with that, and you know, I could love somebody and have them be toxic for me at the same time. And one of the yeah. most mm-hmm. difficult changes was that, um, you know, that those patterns took so many years to develop, and and it it almost I think it kind of got beyond repair. And it's more than just trust. It's I was sort of like you know that expression like dancing as fast as you can. Like I was doing everything I could to your words resonated me to show the people in my life how much I love them and to be the kind of person they wanted me to be and to it was all externally generated and the hardest thing that happened to me was to be plunked in the middle of just my life with my feelings and you know obviously my children who are a huge part of of my sobriety and my and myself but I learned how to show up for myself I learned how to love myself first I'm learning I mean that's it had to be that way in order for me to do that because 
I don't mm-hmm. think that I could be with my husband now and find this sense of self. You know, I do it through a lot of spirituality also and prayer and yeah. meditation and a lot of, you know, very they're very sort of sacred, intensely personal journeys. Um, and that's a very, I think a lot of people's sobriety, and this is a challenge that a lot of people face in early sobriety is, you know, you you hear it as a, as a platitude a lot. Nothing changes if nothing changes. But sometimes the changes that need to be made, and I have a lot of people I know right now who are in early sobriety that are going through this, is looking at really key relationships in your life, and even people that you may love dearly, but it's they're not healthy for you. And that's yep. where these hard boundaries come in. And that's sometimes yep. the linchpin of change to recovery taking root because, you know, Addiction is one of the only ways I know to hide from from yourself, and it's one of the things that most addicts fear is being left alone with their feelings and their right. you know, the wreckage and their consequences, and early sobriety is full of that. And instead right. of ta- spending my time trying to prove to everybody what a good person I am, I'm proving it to myself first, because I, I say this a lot, but I can't give to anybody else anything I, I don't give to myself. And I was incapable of doing that within my marriage at the end, incapable. Um, yeah, I have, I have man, a, it's painful, but it's it's helped in a weird way. Right, you know, right. I have a, I have a friend through my church who who went through something similar and was separated for two years with his wife. Not an alcoholic, um, you know, but he he and his wife separated for two years and ended up getting back together. And his spirituality grew, and his relationship with God and Jesus just has grown immensely in the, that time to a point where he he had given. At a men's group, we had a big men's, you know, like uh, 60 people or something. He gave a testimony, and he said he'd go through that pain again, even if it didn't mean, you know, getting his wife back, because mm-hmm. he developed such a strong relationship with his higher power, with, with God, that he wouldn't go back. And it just made him such a happier person. Now, you know, I had my wife say at one point, you know, you're just grabbing religion to save your marriage. And I said, no, well, first, the only guys, the only, you know, people I know around me with long-term sobriety did it this way, by grabbing religion. And I said, you know, and I'd I'd also spent a a week with my father-in-law last summer, and I said, you know, and he had told me about how 16 years ago when he was full of cancer, you know, he was saved and turned his life over to Jesus, and, and he was freed from cancer and, and he was sick most of the time I knew him with heart issues and he and uh he just passed away uh recently. And you know, and I said to her, you know, he grabbed onto religion, you know, and, and how'd that work out for him? You know, he lived another sixteen years, got to know his grandkids. Um Well and but, I think what you're saying too is that what I'm I'm hearing both of you say and, and Ellie the way you put it was that you're plugged in the entire time. So like when we when we say the difference between being dry and being sober, and that that actually can be a very triggery um, thing for some people. I, I've seen some pretty heated debates on social media about what that means. I just want to clarify for listeners what we're talking about is that it's it's not about being sober in any one recovery program or mm-hmm. you know doing it exactly the way like the three of us. Are, we're kind of Dottie McGottersons, all three of us. We're kind of the real spiritual team here. But, you know, there's, there's different avenues towards it. I know, right? <laughs> but 
but this this idea of being plugged in the entire time, like you guys have talked about things that I jotted down here, accountability. You're no longer mentally and emotionally suffering, even though things are happening in your everyday life that with your your marriages and parenting and all that stuff, but you're not mentally and emotionally suffering. You're not obsessed with liquor anymore. Um, you have a community of other human beings that you can ask for help, um, you know, that you can, you've got tools now. And in, in the case of what the three of us talk a lot about is, is prayer and meditation and spirituality, but there's there's lots of avenues. But the point of it, and we say this on the show all the time, is being plugged in the entire time. That's how Ellie put it, and that's yeah. that's what I'm hearing both of you say loud and clear. Um, yeah, and so for me, like the... that absence of suffering. Go ahead, Greg. No, I, I was gonna, just going to add to that. You know, we talked about boundaries and and um, separating people from your life, but you do have to make sure you're plugged in. For us, the three of us, the higher power is huge. I also, I've developed, you know, my own little dream team where I have, you know, a, a person I really respect from my church who's, you know, he, he was an addict and he's been sober for 20-something years and runs this men's group at my church and relationship counselor and everything. He's seen it all. I have him. I have a therapist who... My wife is called the smartest man she's ever met, um, who's just, his insight is, is just amazing. And he's, he's also seen me from when I was drinking regularly to, to now and seen, you know, the change in me. And I have a sponsor, you know, who has been through, you know, the steps and he's, you know, has good sobriety. And, he, you know, when I respond to an email to my you know, back and forth with my wife. And if it's on a touchy situation, subject, you always want to, and, and just think about, look at your last email you sent someone. We, we're, we're raised to want to get a jab in, or I told you so, or I was right, you were wrong, or, you know, something in that. We always do it. And I have my sponsor read everything I send, and they'll be like, no, 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 you got to take that out. <laughs> you know, you're trying to make a point. Mm-hmm. When it has, adds nothing yeah. to this discussion. And, and he's right. And, it, you know, there's a great line in, in uh, the big book that talks about other people, like, you know, they're spiritually sick. And would you, you know, if, if, if you feel they've harmed you or treat, aren't treating you fairly, and would you respond to them, a sick person in your life, you know, negatively? And you wouldn't. So I've really tried, you know, with, to use these three people to make sure I'm handling situations, you know, the right way in a way that really is showing grace. And because I, there's no, we've had enough drama in our lives, you know, and, mm. and once you can get rid of this obsession and of the addiction and, and get it behind you, you know, just if we can just live the right way every day and not create these ways, because we're conditioned to want to swing at people every day or to lie or to do all that stuff. If you right. wake up and you don't do it, you know, it, your life goes a lot better. Well, and let's let's also talk about go back to the idea of, of building our dream team. And since Jean is is tweeting out there, um, maybe she can tweet a link to the Bubble Hours resource page. There's a bunch of different um, recovery programs that's listed on there that you can you can check out. 
Um, I have to say, when you were talking about old Mike, that if I had been a newcomer and I had walked into a meeting and someone told me to shut up, I would have been very triggered by that. That would have been a great approach for me. Um, And what's fascinating for me now is sort of this, like, but, but, well, let me say this, but I almost took that approach in my own head where I, where I very aggressively questioned every thought that I had. And I'd say this on the show, like all the time that I, I would say, is that true? And I would force myself to be honest about what was really going on. Um, so it's, it's kind of interesting, like balancing honesty versus like, Ellie, you said this too, that like, you know, towards the end there, that if anybody had given you any wiggle room, I don't know how Mm -hmm. exactly you've said it before, like if anybody had been too nice about it. (laughs) Yeah. If I had, if I had found one person to love me as an active addict, that's, that would have been enough for me. Um, Right. You know, I, I, I think I see where you're going with this, Catherine, and I really want to underscore, I love how you summarize sort of the, the under underlying points that we're all making about getting outside of ourselves, being plugged yes. in in any nourishing, soulful, healthy way that we can find. And I know that a lot of people that are thinking about recovery or getting sober or however you want to put it, get they get tangled up in, in God or religion or spirituality or higher power and that sort of that... Um, all of these are just different pathways and people find so yeah. everybody finds something that gets them out of their own head and their own self-centeredness and and their own I mean I think when people like old Mike say you need to shut up and listen it's it's a you know pointier way of saying you know get out of your head develop some compassion and and listen to the people around you and absorb you know the right. the help that's there for you um and so whether that's therapy or an addiction counselor or a few pe- other people in recovery who can help you or a recovery meeting or if your spirituality is God or it's, a, you know, Mother Earth or the universe or the creator, I mean, there's so what – I, what I, my journey towards what I call God just started with a simple prayer that was like, just not me, not me. You know, I don't know where yeah. this is going, but you've got, I've got to get out of my own way. And – listening to the the messages that I thought of as the universe were sending me and it's evolved over time and it will continue to evolve but the we suffer so much with that obsession and that self-centeredness and doubt and insecurity because we're every we're we're our own bottleneck <laughs> there's nothing nothing <laughs> nourishing us from yeah, the outside literally. in and it's literally bottleneck yeah no pun intended actually you <laughs> let us yeah, so it's, it's know, just that I, that to me is the difference between putting the drink down and yeah. y- you know really getting in touch with with um I don't know with myself really. I mean, I could never just put the drink down and and find, you know, ex- find out who I am and what makes me joyful or balanced or happy or peaceful or spiritual. I I had to get that from other people who could guide me with their own right. and, their own And journeys. that's what we're always saying. Like, we're always right. saying that you need other people. And, like, a friend of mine was just telling me that she's gotten really into um, this certain kind of spin class called Flywheel. And I said, what's the difference? And, like, so we started talking about Flywheel versus Soul Cycle versus, like, traditional spin classes. And 
Some people really respond to like soul cycle, which is very zen and candles. And then flywheel is more like, okay, motivational. But then there's other ones that are like boot camp where they're like, you know, get moving, you know, you lazy, whatever. Not all of those styles would work for everybody, but yet they're available. And there's, there's paths to, in this case, physical fitness. It's the same thing with recovery and you know, when when I think when we hear people say like, oh, well, I could never, you know, fill in the blank, like, we're so lucky now we've got these pathways. And the main thing is, is to get out of ourselves, get honest, stay plugged in with, you know, other people and just get, get out of the bad neighborhood that is our tiny little minds. Yeah, um, absolutely. That's the, <laughs> that's the main thing. Go ahead, and- Greg. The other thing I'd add is, you know, with like uh, like I was talking about Mike. And, I mean, that, now I, I got to say he probably got hundreds of people sober in his life. But when you go to these, go to these meetings. If you're trying thinking about trying to get sober, there's this view of like these dark cellars with these nasty, just people right. whose lives are ruined. And you, I. The the most uplifting time of my days are, are coming up, is when I come out of these meetings. It's I, I leave right. in such a good mood. You know the the meeting that Catherine came to uh, with us was called "What's Good About Today," and it's everyone goes around the room just talking about what's good about today, and you just yeah. get so much, such an uplift in them. So I mean, and there's also so many resources out there. We talked about Twitter. You know, any time the past 17 months when I found myself just wrestling in my own head. I'd be in my car with a podcast in of a show like this or listening to a you know a speaker talk about getting mm-hmm. sober or you know there's so many or listening to this I found a pastor named Brennan Manning who just completely yeah. turned upside down my view of religion from a movie mm-hmm. called Ragamuffin who and he said you know you know like I said I thought you had these layers between us and God and he he said you know that talks about how you know, Jesus loves you as you are, not as you should be, because none of us are as we should be. We're all a mess in some way. Everyone around you is. Ours happens to be addiction, and it doesn't make us an awful person. Like, it, it still blows my mind, the, you know, the stigma out there with it, you know, with, compared to yeah. any other type of, you know, issue that people struggle with. You know, this this one, you know, is just has this stigma that we're just, you know, people who are alcoholics, you know, move away from them on the bus. You know, they're just bad people. They're not, you know, and and the, it's go to these meetings and, and uh, you will be uplifted by them. Absolutely. And if you're struggling with it and you're lying and sneaking, it doesn't make you a bad person, but just there's help out there to get away from that life. Yes. Well, and we're... We're so grateful to have you here tonight, Greg, to to help break down that stigma. Um, you know, we've we've done it again. We've blown through an hour so quickly with with uh, so much to talk about. So let's go around and say, you know, what was everyone's key takeaway for tonight? So, Ellie, why don't I start with you? Oh wow, there's so so much richness within the show, Greg. Thank you so much for um sharing your story and and uh you know, it's very inspiring and and I feel like I've said this a lot at the end of shows recently, but I'm continually struck by 
when people talk about that change, and Greg, you you spoke about it so eloquently tonight, the change that happens when, you know, they're they're going from just hanging on to really feeling, you know, that they're in this recovery business for themselves and that their lives are really improving, and that's like just like you you I think you used the phrase jumped in, jumping in, I dove in, I you know, you jumped into communities and mm-hmm. and resources and groups and church and you know, just getting out again, getting out of ourselves and the difference between suffering and, and being enriched is that sort of that's the point of surrender, the point of reaching out and saying I not only can't I do this alone, I don't I don't want to and I I want the help, and that's come up a lot in our, in particularly in our speaker meeting shows recently, and it was just yet again so poignant to me. I mean, it it uh, it that also applies to so many other aspects of life. I mean, going through a divorce, I'm also re- learning how to find the people who have walked this path before me. When I start to get yeah. in the, I'm the only one. I'm going to be alone forever. Nobody will ever love me. You know, I start to get into those mindsets. If I stayed there all by myself, then that's where I would live, and that's how much I would suffer. But I'm learning to find the people who can, you know, tell me that my story is not unique, that I'm not alone, and that it's going to get better. And um, your story was a really, really powerful example of that. So thank you, Greg. Thank you. No, I, I am just amazed. Yeah, go ahead, Greg. How, just how. You know the the resources out there. You know how I've listened to your show and I've we've interacted on Twitter, and just to have you know Catherine reach out, you know us to go to a meeting together, and now you know to be on this show with you, where I'm, I'm hoping this is helping a lot of people, um, and that people who are right now trying to get sober and struggling and feel like they're white knuckling it themselves, to know that you know there's it, there's help out there, and that. You know, it, there truly is a path with easy instructions that you can follow. There's several of them out there, the programs that work, but just reach out and get some help from people, you know. And I want to thank the two of you for making this so easy. I was nervous all day about it. So thanks for, oh, for yeah. having me and making this such a fun experience. Oh, yeah, thank you. It really you. was fun. And I was just so struck that, you know, Greg, you brought me right back to what that obsession felt like, just that Mm. worry and shame and obsession with drinking all the time, even when it was like, no, I'm not going to drink tonight, and I just couldn't stop. And now I stopped, and I don't don't obsess about it anymore. And, like, and I'm not mentally and emotionally suffering about all kinds of stuff anymore. I mean, I don't know if there's another word for it because I call it miracle too. I mean, that's that's how I feel. So people who are out there who are listening, who are, you know, still suffering, um, yeah, I'll just underscore what Greg said that there's, you know, there's there's help and um, and it is possible to be free of that. So thank you both um, for being here tonight and for sharing. And as we close the show tonight, we'd like to direct you to our parent organization, ShiningStrong.org. And there you will find links to all of our resources, including the Bubble Hour and Crying Out Now, and other initiatives around recovery advocacy. Visit the Bubble Hour's website at thebubblehour.com to find a link to many recovery resources, including Jean's blog, Unpickled, and Ellie's blog, One Crafty Mother. Our email address is thebubblehour at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And please let us know your feedback about tonight's show and any other topic suggestions. 
We thank all of you for listening to the Bubble Hour and hope you have a great evening. Good night. Good night. Good night. Thanks so much. Thanks. Bye. Bye.